Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter, Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. And it was a fairly normal morning. I felt kind of funny and dizzy and just off. But it wasn't that strange to me because I'd been feeling that way for six months since having a baby when you, you know, you're not sleeping, you're breastfeeding, you're just out of it. And so it was unusual that I would feel terrible. (laughs) That's Catherine Wolfe recounting the moments right before she suffered a life-threatening stroke in 2008. As she mentioned, she just had a baby six months earlier. But she felt strange, dizzy, and then she collapsed right in her kitchen. Catherine's husband, Jay, just happened to be home for lunch that day. He's the one who found her curled on the floor. He called an ambulance. And the paramedics determined very quickly that there was, in fact, something majorly wrong here and that they would need to take me to the hospital. The doctor who was on call, Dr. Gonzalez, first said that that the uh, prognosis obviously was not good at all and likely she would still die. But she was experiencing a brainstem stroke from a very, very rare uh, congenital defect she'd had all of her life but had no warnings of until that moment when it ruptured. The doctors performed a rare and complicated 16-hour surgery that removed 60% of her cerebellum. That's the part of the brain that controls most motor function and many essential nerves. Catherine spent the next two months in a coma. When she woke up, she had to relearn how to breathe, talk, eat, and move her body. We were birthed into a new couple and a new family, and, and certainly the question would become... Are you willing to learn to love somebody new? I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. Years before the stroke, Catherine and Jay met in a cafeteria at Samford College in Birmingham, Alabama. 
I heard her before I saw her, but when I saw her, she's this, you know, over the top, just full of life, beautiful woman. And uh, what was even cooler than she had this huge cafeteria tray full of food, like unabashed, just piled high. I just said, gosh, I want to know that lady. She's She looks interesting <laughs> and she's, she's going for it. <laughs> We were definitely babies. We like to say we've done some hard living since then. Oh, yeah. So The beard is white now. Yeah, you know, it's a little it's different these days, but that's okay. Yeah, but yeah, we we were we kind of started as just great friends. Catherine had a boyfriend that she still had from high school. They were trying to do that kind of thing, and, um, and yet, you know, we just had a blast every time we went to the sorority fraternity party or whatever, you know, just dancing and, and, and just uh, enjoyed hanging out as friends. But then I realized, wow, like, I want to be more than friends and uh, sort of swooped in when the when the boyfriend didn't work out from high school. So it worked out just fine. And yet, <laughs> um, for us, I think college was about finding out who we were. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't this like, out of a movie, you know, we met, we broke up probably 10 times in four years of college when we were just trying to figure out who we were and what we wanted out of life and if we could do this thing together. After breaking up and getting back together, falling in and out of love, they eventually knew that this was it for both of them. After college, Jay proposed at his dad's church. It was incredible. It was a total surprise. He sang a song. He's a really good singer, and he sang, and it was really incredible, really beautiful. Our proposal was on Groundhog's Day, so I don't know what that means. You can psychoanalyze it. Yeah. But. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> February 2nd. So true. Uh, but then, yeah, it was um, yeah, it was a sweet start, and um, man, feels like a lifetime ago, and it kind of sure. was. They were just 22 when they got married and said their vows. You know the vows. Love, honor, cherish through all of it, the sickness and the health. All those things we did promise to each other that really we didn't fully understand the weight and the gravity of. We sort of focus on, particularly in our culture, just like the, you know, for better and richer and health and wealth and good and perfect and dream and complete me. And I think we miss out on those other things we promise, sort of the flip sides of those coins, the for worse and for poorer and in sickness and until we die. And I think in reality, those are the most profound promises any human can tell another human. <laughs> and we sort of push those under the rug because they seem like, well, that's not my dream. That's not what I'm signing up for. And it's like, but somebody said that they would stay with you even if it wasn't what they signed up for. And that somebody would stay and not leave when you get sick or when the bottom falls out of your finances or when you die. <laughs> and how profound and powerful is that? We kind of got married before we even realized what we were signing up for, which I'm sure many, many times is not wise. But in our case, it's um, worked really beautifully because we've built a life together from the start in a way. I think there is that sense of like, not codependency, but interdependency. And then you add in what happens later in our story and it just further deepens that. I promised that I would stay, not knowing what that would mean. The condition in her brain that would rupture three years later was present, even in that moment, under the veil um, on her wedding day. And then conversely, she promised, not fully knowing me, not understanding all 
of my junk and depth of the arc of my life and story would look like and how I would change through years and through suffering and through struggle. And she was saying, despite all that, like, I'm going to stay too. At this point, neither of these sunny, happy kids knew that hard times were on the horizon. Catherine had barely been sick a day in her life. She had no symptoms, no warning signs, and no medical history that could have foreshadowed a stroke so early in her life. They moved from the Deep South to Southern California. A pretty big culture shock. Jay went to law school at Pepperdine, and Catherine was doing some acting and modeling work. We just really fell in love with Los Angeles almost immediately, found very deep friendships quickly, which is so strange. People feel so anonymous many times in a big city, but for us, the big city equaled this fast-forwarding relationship thing that was very beautiful, is people are constantly moving there, so you you become each other's family or something. Remember how they went to Samford, a small liberal arts college in Birmingham? Well, in California. Everybody thought we went to Stanford, which we just kind of let them think that. Because I think (laughs) that's really smart. They had their baby four years after getting married. They named him James Thompson. Jay was still in law school. They were living in a married housing dorm. The day that Catherine had her stroke, James had just turned six months old. It was a fairly normal morning. I felt kind of funny and dizzy and just off. But it wasn't that strange to me because I'd been feeling that way for six months since having a baby when you, you know, you're not sleeping, you're breastfeeding, you're just out of it. And so it was unusual that I would feel terrible. (laughs) Jay came home for lunch in between classes to print out a paper and procrastinate for a little while. He was just weeks away from finishing school. Both of them were so eager to move on to the next big thing in their lives. He went into the back room to print out a paper and the baby was napping in the other room and I was in the kitchen preparing lunch and I fell to my knees and they legs went numb, arms went numb and I started throwing up. And I was able to call out to Jay, who quickly was able to call 911, and they came, and the paramedics determined very quickly that there was, in fact, something majorly wrong here, and that they would need to take me to the hospital. Catherine didn't think anything major was wrong. She thought maybe she'd eaten a bad burrito, or maybe she was just exhausted from taking care of the baby. I'm having all these funny thoughts. And then we leave the married housing unit. I leave on the stretcher and I lose consciousness then. And I only wake up two months later from the coma-like state I was in. So I was in a coma for two months before um, beginning, beginning to wake up um, to the new reality. We got to UCLA Hospital, which was amazing because I didn't even know they had a hospital, and ended up at that time being the best hospital in the whole West and the number three hospital in the country. The doctor who was on call, Dr. Gonzalez, Nestor Gonzalez is his name, really one of the most renegade kind of neurosurgeons, very brilliant, double board certified, really in 
uh, for Catherine's particular case, which was a brainstem stroke, he was, you know, there was nobody else that would be better. The doctor said the prognosis was bad. Catherine wasn't going to make it. She was experiencing a brainstem stroke from a very, very rare congenital defect called an AVM. AVM is an abbreviation for an arteriovenous malformation. That's a tangle of abnormal blood vessels connecting arteries and veins in the brain. Unfortunately, her AVM was the largest he had ever seen. It had four aneurysms on top of it. It was abutting her brainstem. The bleed was causing pressure, which was causing her brain to squeeze down and herniate into her spine. So it's just not survivable by any rational standards or medical standards. But he took her into surgery. We sort of had vigil all night. About 100 people from our church came and just, you know, really just had this beautiful experience of community. And again, you know, marriage is not supposed to be done in isolation. It's in community. And we got that in spades just to see this whole family rise up around us and help us walk through this very unknown, unexpected tragedy. The next morning, the doctor came out, exhausted, bleary-eyed. He said, she lived, but we don't know if she'll wake up. We don't know if she'll be vegetative or paralyzed or locked in. We just don't know. But he said he didn't even look at the clock. It had been 16 hours of microbrain surgery. And they had to remove over half of her cerebellum and do a lot of damage and sacrificing of vital nerves and even scraping her brainstem to just get all of the malformation out to save her life. But they didn't know if that would mean that she would never wake up again. But she was alive. And I think that sort of first sign of life was the the hope that we leaned into and in, in a bigger figurative sense, just whenever there's this like life spared new life, like even just a little glimpse of it, like that's what we have to all lean into to find hope to continue to go on. Jay and the rest of the family went home, washed up, tried to sleep. Then he got a call from the hospital. The nurse said, no, no, it's incredible. She's unconscious, but when I say wiggle your toes, she's wiggling them so she's not paralyzed. And when I say lift up your finger, she's lifting it up so she's not brain dead. And it was an incredible first of many miracles, but I like to say they can't make medically induced comas to keep my wife from communicating uh, that she needed us to hang on and wait for her because she was inside. Catherine was on life support for the next 40 days as her body tried to learn to breathe again. So much of my body was compromised. My um, cerebellum is missing almost, or gosh, 60%. I could not see um, out of one eye at all, and I had severe double vision, and I was deaf in one ear, obviously completely unable to walk. I couldn't speak yet, so I couldn't say words. I, my hand wouldn't work. Um, to coordinate at all any fine motor movements. And the biggest for me was that I was being fed through a tube in my stomach and unable to eat food at all, drink anything, even, I mean, ice, nothing. I never could have imagined that a healthy 26-year-old girl would have a massive near-fatal stroke and then be left 
extremely disabled, as I largely remain today. Waking up was just a weird, weird deal. Who could imagine that my life would be just 180, turned upside down? I couldn't really even wrap my mind around it. Like an alternate reality. And I think, you know, that's the, the truth for relationships. You're going to have a different iterations of a marriage, just any marriage. But when you add in something like medical tragedy, literally like a second chance at life, you wake up and you are birthed into a new marriage, into a new world, into a new family, because you're new and you're different. We didn't even realize, like, okay, there's no going back to how it used to be. And me too. I'm not the same person I was before the stroke, right? So we were birthed into a new couple and a new family. And, And certainly the question would become, are you willing to learn to love somebody new in this marriage? Time for a quick break. Be right back. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty-turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. After the stroke and the surgery, the fear, the miracle, and the realization of a new life, it wasn't over. It was two years of rehab in and out of the hospital. And in the meantime, Jay was being a full-time parent to a six-month-old. Catherine and her son James' brains were developing along the same timeline. It was both very beautiful and poignant and tragic, all the things. When I was relearning to walk, he was learning to walk. And it was crazy because one of the ways I had to retrain my brain to walk again was by crawling. They needed the right side and left side of the brain to basically coordinate with my balance issues to shift weight, etc. Basically, I had to crawl. And as he's crawling around and learning to take his first steps, I'm crawling around and learning to take steps again. And it was just very, very powerful. And same with eating. You know, he'd be trialing baby foods while I'm trialing baby food to see if I can swallow it. And that would continue until he was able to eat solid food, and I was not yet able to eat solid food. So he surpassed me in the eating, but I eventually caught up. 
yeah, it was wild that those things continued. I was learning to speak again and articulate various sounds as he was learning to make those sounds for the first time. So it was was really interesting to be on a journey that your baby is on towards just being a person. (laughs) Not that you're not a person when you're a baby, but you know what I mean. He beat you a couple times too. It was interesting. Yeah, he he beat me a couple (laughs) times for sure with things, but I, I caught up and... What is really fascinating to explore is that my cognition was always completely intact. So I'm functioning as a 26, 27, 28-year-old as all this is happening, and he's a one, two, and three-year-old. They eventually got to a place where Catherine could return to living in their house in Los Angeles full-time. For a long time, they dreamed about that moment as the happy ending to their story. If they could just get home, then life would start to return to normal. But they quickly realized that the old normal was gone. It was never coming back. It was really, really, really painful, more painful than we thought. We finally got back home, and yet it wasn't really home anymore. And we couldn't just sort of sneak into the back door of our lives and say, like, oh, nothing to see here. Like, we're, you know, we're back, and we're just ready to pick up where we left off. It's like we had to figure out how to do life again in this new normal. I still cannot drive a car. My eyes do not track at all. I am in a wheelchair nearly full-time now. I can't walk on my own. Um, My hand does not work to... My right hand, I should say, does not work to coordinate at all. So no fine motor coordination whatsoever. And my face is paralyzed on one side. I'm still stone-cold deaf in one ear. And even though I do now eat food, my swallow is still very compromised. I have loads of issues with eating. It's time for a quick break. When we get back, we'll hear about how Catherine and Jay started to build their new life. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.
Despite all of her disabilities, Catherine wanted to try to continue to have the life that she and Jay had planned for. And that life included having another child. I am extremely disabled. Having a baby was not really on the top of any of my physician's lists of things to do. I definitely would be a candidate for maybe an adoption one day, but probably not even that because how are you going to take care of a baby? (laughs) However, the doctors deemed me medically fit and I was able to become pregnant. Catherine was kind of in that more medically sensitive pregnancy category because, uh, you know, just her brain clearly has some issues. Yeah, Um, high risk. Yeah, so you were kind of had a high-risk doctor. We had this plan for, you know, a C-section. They were just really tracking with you and concerned. And the pregnancy was pretty simple, really. I mean, there wasn't a lot of issues. Thank God you didn't fall or anything. Catherine went into labor two weeks before her due date. Now, for most people, that's not a huge deal. Doctors tell you that the baby is usually ready to go by 37 weeks of a 40-week pregnancy. But Catherine was supposed to have a scheduled C-section, and suddenly she was in labor and her water was breaking. Because it was in the triage room, not like the normal wing, it actually had a view out the very window where John was born of the ICU, where she lay like a couple years before and recovered. And it was just this really pretty profound moment of just remembering how far we had come in this new life that was coming in a life and a marriage and a body that there really should only have been death. Our son, John, is now four years old and doing really well despite being an incredibly difficult four. child. Oh, Three is I mean, no joke. Four is also still no joke. He's just the gift that we never expected that we never thought would be in our family. His older brother, James, always wanted a sibling. And here... He never thought he'd have one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And here, eight years later, he finally gets one. And it's been a journey, but a wonderful journey. Pregnancy is hard. I'm eight months pregnant right now. You can probably hear that a baby is, you know, right up in my diaphragm, in my lungs. But having a newborn's even harder. And I thank God every single day that my own baby is still in my belly while I'm trying to get everything done, including this podcast. So I can't imagine how hard the newborn phase would be if one partner were physically challenged. As a family, you know, it's, it's not simple. It was really, again, kind of a blur of a season. It was pretty tiring and, of course, pretty pretty challenging. But what I thought was amazing, too, was to see a woman who has uh, damage around her brainstem and her cerebellum and these very, very basic parts of our, our bodies that make it work, the motor centers and core of, you know, muscle coordination and balance and, and all these things. And, you know, that's where her, her stroke was, one of the central parts of just your body working. And yet I saw firsthand that this motherhood instinct was like an even deeper sort of sense of, of healing. And she would hold that baby and there, she was not going to drop him. Any kind of motherhood or parenthood, you know, it costs something of the parent's body and of their, just like their mental capacity and emotions and future finances, all those things. And so it certainly, you know, in a sense, it has cost a lot, but it also has provided so much healing that I'm not sure there's anything else on earth that could have given Catherine some of that healing. And I think 
John and just his life and his growth has, has also tracked in this sense of our whole family and our marriage, finding not just getting back to the baseline, but then flourishing beyond where we were before, even against the odds. It's been a beautiful thing to witness and to lean into. Today, Catherine's gotten to the point where she can do a lot of things around the house on her own. But her physical limitations still require a lot of help from Jay when she wants to leave the house. And that means they spend a lot of time doing things together. I can drive her to places as a family, carpool together to go to school, and that's actually a really sweet time we have together. What's been interesting about some of the caregiving, sort of the day-to-day routine about some of those things, is that they really diffuse some of the sense of hurt in a marriage. You know, you can kind of get crossways with your partner, and then you end up not even looking at each other and just storming off in different directions, and it just sort of festers. And I think what's interesting about caregiving is it really challenges your heart to stay soft towards the person you're giving care to and vice versa, hopefully, that they're, you know, not feeling so resentful towards you. But like at night, you know, we might have gone through just like an argument or annoyance at each other or a fight or whatever, and I still have to go and make sure her eye is all cleaned out and lubed up where where she has facial paralysis, that right eye doesn't close. So if I don't get in there and help her, it might really hurt her eye. And so that's been a really surprisingly helpful practice of just like, even if we've kind of hurt each other across ways, we still get to be about the healing of each other and the helping of each other. And sometimes, you know, that action precedes the emotion. And I think that's such a different message than we hear culturally. If you're not feeling it, then it can't be good. And like, then you have every right to go chase that feeling and emotion. And I think that's just overlooking so often that our emotions are up and down like crazy. Why would we let them dictate our life? And, you know, I know what's right. I know what I want to do. That's loving. I may not be feeling the love, but you know what, when I'm when I act in that love towards my wife and my family, what's really beautiful is then I usually end up feeling loving eventually. So sometimes the the actions precede the actual emotion. And I think that's been a, a really huge gift of this routine of caregiving. How is all of this, the stroke, the surgeries, the disability, how, how has it changed your marriage? What is crazy is on the other side of suffering you recognize that some things are better because of what you've been through, which is crazy perspective, and no one wants terrible pain or suffering or tragedy to come, but it can have this tremendous effect of informing the rest of your life when you're young. Yeah, I think what's been neat, too, is getting to do this new story together, and that's not the case for a lot of marriages. A lot of them fall apart when there's some medical tragedy inserted into it. I think, you know, some of the percentages are awful. Like 90% of young marriages break up in light of a spouse becoming disabled or something like that. And so we mourn so much for those folks who don't get to see the goodness on the other side of the struggle and what remains. I just think of all the things that we would have missed out on if we hadn't chosen to keep going as hard as it's been.
The tagline of Catherine and Jay's new book, Suffer Strong, is how to survive anything by redefining everything. I've thought about that a lot lately, ever since I saw the book cover before I even read it. I keep thinking about what does it really mean to redefine your relationship? When it comes to the notion of hard things, sad things, broken things, I think as a culture, we have been really taught to get away from those things, that they've got to equal a bad life, a bad story, something that needs to be fixed. And what we have seen is actually there is thriving and flourishing within really hard things. And they shouldn't be resented and wished away, but instead very much embraced as part of the the story. <laughs> this dream I thought I was going to have that didn't happen, maybe there's more to lean into, something outside of myself. I like to say that God made you to do the hard thing and the good story he's writing in your life. And that's pretty radical thinking that actually there are in fact hard things and good stories and good things and hard stories and that good hard life, nothing is one note. And that obviously is marriage and family and life on this earth is good and hard. They're not mutually exclusive. This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza, with special thanks to Catherine and Jay Wolf. It was produced, edited, and mixed by Ramsey Young. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Kling. Theme song by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com. That's j-o at committedpodcast.com. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.